Welcome to the Fiscal Physical Podcast. Join us each week as we sit down with the founder of Alchemy Wealth Management and author of Your Fiscal Physical, Ryan Nelson. Tune in to gain valuable insights and practical tips as we simplify complex financial concepts into digestible lessons. From budgeting to retirement planning, this podcast is your go-to resource for mastering financial literacy. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of Your Fiscal Physical Podcast. My name is Aaron, and I'm joined by uh, Ryan Nelson, founder of Alchemy Wealth Management. Um, You can find his popular book on Amazon. Uh, Please check it out. Like I said, I think it should be taught in schools and be required reading, but that's just me, myself. Um, Ryan, how are you doing today? Doing well, doing well. How about yourself? Can't complain, and I am even more excited, or I'm doing even better, because we got a question from one of our listeners here. Oh, that's what I like to hear. And uh, we are very excited because the uh, lovely Eric emailed in with a a question, and keep in mind, you can also email in at, uh, email us at podcast at alchemywealth.com. Eric was awesome with this. He actually uh, sent in a um, an audio clip with his question, so um, which I think is the preferred format. If wouldn't you agree as far as like the, yeah. that sending that in? Absolutely, I'm excited to hear it. Yeah, so we'll go ahead and play this uh, clip for the listeners. Um, Eric's got great diction, so um, he's going to detail his question, and then uh, uh, Ryan will go ahead and uh, break this down. So uh, um, give it a listen. Hello, this is Eric, and I had a question regarding asset allocation. I did a little research and found that investing in a passive fund that tracks the U.S. stock market may be an effective and easy way to start investing. However, these funds do not contain any bond allocation. As a new investor, my question is, what is the benefit of investing in bonds? And if bonds are a benefit to any portfolio, what percentage of my investment should be towards bonds versus stocks? Thank you, Eric, for that question here, and uh, a lot to break down in that overall, Ryan. So I'm I'm very curious to see um, your thoughts and uh, uh, just to kind of give a, a high level overview of um, you know how to best address that. Yeah, it, it's a fantastic question. So thanks for submitting it, Eric. Um, and really, I, I love how it compounds on the last few um, episodes we've done. And in the question is that of an asset allocation question. And, you know, if I understand Eric's question correctly, he's really asking, you know, should he be investing in in something like the S&P 500, an index fund that tracks the S&P 500, um, and just leave out the bonds? Does he need any bond exposure? Uh, He's a fairly aggressive investor, it sounds like. Uh, If so, what would be the benefit of adding those bonds? And so um, it's a fantastic question and a question I get um, fairly frequently and I'd like to maybe start addressing the question with an analogy, and it's a story. Uh, I I can't validate the uh, the accuracy, uh, the validity of this story. Um, so let's treat it just as a story. Uh, I don't know how factually accurate it is to history, but uh, as the legend goes, um, when the Titanic first launched, it was not known for being the biggest ship, which is what. I perceived um, it was actually known for being the fastest ship. Hmm. And so supposedly, again, as, as legend goes, it was, it was the fastest ship. And so they load this thing up, they get all the people, all their luggage on the ship. They're about to make their journey. And uh, the engineers um, realize like with this much weight, so, so apparently that they were going to make this particular trip, they were going to do the route faster than any ship had ever done that route. 
And so the engineers um, kind of were crunching their numbers and they said, well, we're heavier than we thought we were going to be with all these people, all this luggage. Um, we're not going to make the time that we basically said we were going to make. And um, so then one of the engineers said, well, the boat's unsinkable, isn't it? And they said, yeah. And they said, well, why do we have all these life these lifeboats on it? Ooh. Why don't we strip out these lifeboats? We'll drop the weight and we'll be able to make the time. So they say, yeah, that's a great idea. So they strip out the lifeboats, right? And uh, so then they make the they make the journey. We all know how this 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 story ends. Unfortunately, the Titanic hits an iceberg. Apparently, it's not an unsinkable boat, um, and uh, and and the Titanic sinks. And so, how this analogy applies to finance is is we can kind of think of, of so stocks being more aggressive, bonds being a little bit more conservative. So, if we're invested in all stock, right? That's we're a little bit more aggressive. That's kind of like the speed. Um, bonds are sort of going to be like our, our, our lifeboats, right? And so if we were in 100% stock, we would be a more aggressive portfolio and we would get from point A to point B theoretically faster. Um, bonds though are these lifeboats and, and you, don't, you don't know when you're going to need that lifeboat, right? Sure. Um, but if the market was to crash, we, we, we alluded to this in the previous episode on asset allocation. Um, the, the correlation between stocks and bonds is low. And so oftentimes if stocks fall, there's lots of scenarios in past history where bonds actually go up and help subsidize some of those losses from your stocks. And, um, and so, you know, the question becomes, you know, in this example, the Titanic, they forfeited their bonds, so to speak, for maximum speed. In hindsight, it's really easy to look back on that and say, well, that was a little irresponsible. We probably should have diversified our portfolio put the put the the bonds or the lifeboats on slowed down our overall progress right slowed ourselves down and long term maybe the titanic would still be sailing the seas right um and so it's it, it's it's a argument in risk mitigation you don't want um necessarily to take all the risk you can just because the expected returns are theoretically higher um so hopefully that, you know, again, I don't know how true any of that is about the actual Titanic, but hopefully it's a decent example to illustrate the point in the value of bonds, even though the expected returns of bonds are lower than that of stocks, we don't just want necessarily to always put all our money in stocks just because they're higher expected returns. No, that's and that's a great analogy. And I, I can't remember seeing that in the movie with Leonardo DiCaprio when they were talking about that, but I'm sure that it probably came up that they're like, hey, we don't have enough lifeboats. And they're like, ah, it's unsinkable. Yeah. Like, why would we need it? Like, as far as that goes, and next thing you know, you know, Leo's falling off a door and dying. So, um, but you know, b- being able to break that down in that way of, uh, you know, kind of equating like, cool, speed and almost like safety in mm-hmm. a way. Yeah. Um, but you know, having it, having that balance specifically, and once again, it kind of ties back into our previous episodes of, you know, what goes into asset allocation, what's your risk tolerance, what is your, uh, you know, risk capacity just yep. in general too. So I, I like that that kind of all, all comes full circle. Yeah, a hundred percent. And, uh, and, and I want to read this quote from Warren Buffett that I think applies to this. So, so Warren Buffett once said, the first rule of investment is don't lose money. And the second rule of investment is don't forget the first rule. And that's all the rules there are. So again, the first rule of investment is don't lose. The second rule of investment is don't forget rule one. And that's all the rules. That's Warren Buffett. And uh, it's funny um, because most people consider him the greatest investor of all time. Most people probably um, 
think about him in regards to the incredible returns he's gotten. Right. Um, but one of his founding principles is risk mitigation. Mm-hmm. And that's b- being able to stay in the game for so long is how you can get those return such, such amazing returns. It's, it's actually taking advantage of, um, kind of some rules of compounding, which we can, t- we can address in a future episode, but, um, it's less about any probably one individual year's returns and more so about getting those returns year after year after year. And so let's, let's put some numbers around this risk mitigation concept I've talked about a couple of times. So, um, let's think about a hypothetical investment because because it, it's easy to to just say oh yeah risk mitigation what's what's that mean like why right why, uh, okay you're saying it's important why is it important and so this is a, a just a, a a mathematical concept that I think is foreign to most of us My, I was a I was an engineer and it still was a little foreign to me until I actually kind of saw the numbers and like thought about it mm-hmm. a little more and so let's just take a hypothetical hundred dollar investment easy easy math yep. love easy math around so here so you have a hundred dollar investment. Let's say you lose one percent. Hundred dollars goes to ninety nine dollars. To big to get back to even, it's pretty easy. You basically get like one percent. One percent of ninety nine dollars is nine point or is point nine nine percent. So you're up to ninety nine point nine nine percent. So you lose one percent, you get one percent back. You're basically back to even, mm-hmm. right? Uh, if you lose ten percent, your hundred dollar investments turns into ninety dollars. Now you need an eleven percent invest eleven uh, percent return to get back to even. So you lose 10%, you need 11% to get back to even. So you can see an eight, there's an asymmetry between the re, the loss and the return. You actually need bigger returns to get back to even. Now let's look at some bigger examples. So if you lose 25%, you have a $100 investment, it drops to $75. Do you, what, do you know what returns we would need to get back to even? More than 25%. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So if we have $75, if we're down to $75, we need to get $25 to get back to even. So that'd be a 33% return. Oh. So um, we a lot. That's a lot different than just a pretty much a 1%, like yeah. when you started out. Like, I mean, that's now eight, yep. 8% more than you actually lost. Overall. Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So so we lose 25%. We need we need 33% returns to get back to even. Um, you can start seeing that asymmetry grow. So we lose 1%. We basically need a 1% to get back. We lose 10%. We need 11%, a little bit more. Now we lose 25%. We need 36% to get back to even. That's kind of substantial, right? Yeah. <laughs> if we lose 50%, so our $100 investment turns into $50. Now to get back to even, we need 50 more dollars. We need to double our money. 100% so you, more. Yeah. So you need a 100% return to double your money. So you lose 50%. You need to wait to get a hundred percent returns, double your money till you're back to even. So you could see in that example, like if you could have mitigated some of those risks and instead of getting, if there was a really bad year, instead of taking a 50% hit, if you could have only taken a 25% hit, instead of needing a hundred percent returns, you would have only needed 35% returns to get back to even. It's a lot easier to get 35% returns than it is 100% returns, right? Absolutely. Um, so there's that asymmetry. We can go look at a couple examples of even more extreme. You know, If you were to lose something that's ridiculous, like 90% losses, your $100 investment would drop to $10. You now need to make $90 back. So you need to make 9x, right? Your investment, right? Yeah, that'd be a little... That's 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 quite daunting. Yeah. You put that, it like that as That far could as, take decades yes. to get back. So, um, so if you take too much risk... And in any one year you lose, have a huge loss, it could take decades to recover from. A lot of people, you know, back in the early 2000s, there was what we call the tech tech bubble. Some people were invested like 75%, 80%, 90%, 100% of their net worth in technology stocks. It hit a bubble. That bubble, When that bubble burst, a lot of people lost huge percentages of their net worth. There's stories of people losing like 90% of their net worth. Um, 
that when those people, I mean, to get nine X your money back, that takes decades and decades oh, to yeah. return it. So, so going back to, to Warren Buffett's quote, the first rule of investment is don't lose money. The second rule of investment is don't forget the first rule. And that's all the rules there are. You need an element. If you want to maximize your returns, you need an element of, of risk mitigation. Um, so yeah, I don't know if you'd yeah. like thought about those numbers at all in the past. I, I hadn't until I actually saw them in, when we were outlining this podcast and looking at them and being like, wow, like that, that makes so much sense when you put it, you mean, you just talk about the numbers in general. You're like, okay, cool. Like, you know, if I do lose 25%, I need this much. All right. And it just continues to grow and get bigger and bigger. So you're talking about the 90%. Cool. Now you need nine, 900% to get back to even and just painting it like that. It, it makes you think that, Hey, you probably should have some risk mitigation in there right. without a doubt. Like, unless, I mean, once again, everyone's personal decision on how they want to handle it, but, um, just be prepared for the potential consequences with that. Yep. And so going back now, applying this to Eric's question, mm-hmm. you know, I think he asked directly, um, sh- you know, should he own any bonds? And, you know, again, we're not giving financial advice here, so I don't know if he should or if he shouldn't. Um, but, but, you know, the benefit of bonds is they provide that risk mitigation. They are, uh, you know, they provide risk mitigation two ways. Diversification, right? So they sometimes bonds zig when when stocks zag. Um, that's one way. Also, they're just a more, uh, a, in general, a less risky asset class than stocks. Um, so, so we could, we could, so, um, you know, what is the value of bonds? Bonds are, can be when used correctly with a stock portfolio, they can be used as a bit of a a risk mitigation tool. Um, so I think a logical next question would be, well, how much bonds do I own? Do you know, should I be 90% bonds then? Like, I'm scared. scared. I don't want to lose everything. You know, do I need to, do I need, (laughs) I need a lifeboat. Yeah. yeah. Do I need extra lifeboats? Yeah. And you know, I think if we keep using this Titanic analogy, the reality is like, you don't need more lifeboats than there are people on the boat. Right. You know, um, that, that would probably be too much risk mitigation. Should you have a risk, uh, a lifeboat for everybody on the boat? I would say probably. I don't want to be the one right. on that boat that doesn't get <laughs> yeah. a lifeboat, right? So, so if you go back, you know, we mentioned this a little bit. I think it was um, last episode where we talked about the rule of one ten in regards to asset allocation. So, um, again, it's a rule of thumb. I don't really like using rule of thumbs, but it, it's good for for demonstrations purposes. And so, if you had a thirty year old individual, we applied the rule of one ten, one ten minus thirty. That's going to leave us with 80. That'd be 80% stock, 20% bonds. It helps give you kind of an idea. The younger you are, you can have a lot of stock and a few lifeboats, only 20% lifeboats, right? If we, again, we play, apply the rule of 110 to an 80 year old, 110 minus 80, that's 30% stock. 70% bonds, that person's going to have a lot more lifeboats. Primarily, the primary reason being is their time horizon is shorter. They don't have uh, time as a benefit anymore. So if there was a market decline, they wouldn't have as much time to let that market just naturally come back up. So they want to mitigate more risk, right? Um, so when you're trying to figure out how much, if you know, if you buy into the theory, like, okay, I don't want to just invest in like an S&P 500 fund. I do see some value of this risk mitigation and using bonds to help mitigate risks. How much should I have in bonds? That's a unique personalized, um, you know, personalized decision. Mm-hmm. But 
the younger you are, probably the more aggressive you can be, have less lifeboats, less spawns, the more, you know, the older you are, more conservative you are, uh, more lifeboats, more bonds. Right. And it, it all depends on once again, you, you hit on it there for sure is your goals are your, yeah. are your goals as far as like what you want to do and yep. how fast you want to get there. And are you, you know, that risk capacity yep. of, of the individual themselves? Yep. Exactly. Right. So it'd go back to the goals-based investing. So figuring out what your goals are, figuring out your risk capacity, your risk tolerance, partnering those together to determine how much risk you should be taking. And so, um, you know, I, I, I always think about this as trying to help people reach their goals with as much certainty as possible, right? So the more risk you take, yes, the expected returns might be higher, but are you increasing the likelihood of hitting your goals? So for example, if you think about this a different way, maybe if you were to uh, inherit you know, $10 million somehow, well, if that's enough for you to live your lifestyle for the rest of your life, you sort of already made it. Should you be taking any risk? Do you need any risk? You know, because right. you could go invest it in stocks and bonds, and then what happens if the market crashes, and now all of a sudden you're left with less money and not enough to live your lifestyle? You know, so so it's an individual choice. But w- w- what we want to do is figure out what your goals are, what's the least amount of risk you we can take to get you to your goals, and and in doing so, we have the highest certainty, right? The most likelihood of getting you to your goals. So. Um, a lot of times I'll, I'll, I'll hear people just asking about like, yeah, you know, this investment, yeah, it's more risk, but higher expected return. Let's just go with higher expected return, higher expected return. I want more money, more, more, sure. more. But when we actually think about it, it's like, well, are you, you know, do you actually want more, 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 or do you want the highest percentage opportunity of achieving your goal? If you want the highest percentage opportunity of achieving your goal, you'd approach this whole situation a little bit differently and actually take the least risk possible to still that the, the least risk possible that still allows you to get to your goal, which again, for, you know, for a 30 year old might still be taking 80, 90% in stock and only 10 or 20% in bonds. It could be a completely reasonable portfolio for somebody with a, a, a longer time horizon. Yeah, definitely. And that, and that kind of just paints a, a great picture overall. And, and one of the things that also paints a great picture is in your book, your fiscal physical, there's a lot of graphs I've mentioned in a couple other mm-hmm. episodes here that are really helpful to kind of paint that, 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 picture of like, hey, cool, this is what that breakdown looks like. And a lot of times that's that's how I am. I'm a visual person. I like to I like to see those um, um, those different graphs and kind of see those timelines. And being able to to visualize that is huge just in general. And uh, um, I think it's on page 116. There's a great graph to, to, to kind of discuss, which you can kind of put into words just overall. Yeah. yeah. So obviously, yeah, what, if you said it was page 116, you can also go Google the efficient frontier. And if you pull up this graph in front of you, you're going to see this curved graph that starts in the bottom left-hand corner. It kind of curves up steep, so it goes up quickly and then starts to kind of taper off and go to the right. And so, again, you can Google Efficient Frontier if you want to see an example of one of these frontiers. Um, But, you know, it's a great visual, but um, I'll explain what it means to you just kind of in layman terms. And, and, you know, when you start on, on kind of the far left, zero risk, as you take one unit of risk, so you take a little bit of risk. When, when you're starting from no risk and you take a little bit of risk, you get quite a bit of returns. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to throw just numbers to this to hopefully make it easier to conceptualize. The, these numbers are pretty meaningless, um, so don't don't put any any uh, any value towards these numbers. But hopefully, it illustrates the point. So let's say you take one unit of risk. So you start if you take zero unit of risk, you're going to get zero return. Right. You take one unit of risk, you might get three percent return. 
oh, that's not bad. I could take 3% return. Sure. You take an additional unit of risk. You're not going to get three more percent of return. You may only get two more percent return. So if you take two units of risk, you're getting now 5% return. Right. Three plus two. If you take a third unit of risk, an additional unit of risk, a third unit of risk, you're not going to get even 2% extra return. You're only going to get, say, 1% extra return. So now you're taking three total units of risk, and maybe you're getting 6% total return. Then you take an additional unit of risk. So maybe now you're taking four units of risk. But you're still now you're not even going to get a full extra percent. Maybe you're only getting 0.5%. So you're taking four units of risk, and you're getting 6.5% return. And each additional unit of risk you take, you get less and less added return. So you eventually get to a point where you're like, gosh, if I take an extra unit of risk, I'm only getting like 0.01% extra return. Mm-hmm. But you're still taking a full extra unit of risk. And is it is it worth it at that point, right? Um, and so there's typically some trade-off there. So the curve starts to flatten off and you get to a point where, again, each added unit of risk doesn't add much added return. Um, and so... In hindsight, you probably want to take some balance there and say, okay, you know, there there becomes a point where taking extra risk, there's, it's not worth this extra risk. This little tiny bit of extra return probably isn't worth um, the extra risk for me. Um, and so, yeah, it, you know, not a bad idea to Google that chart or Google that. What uh, was the name of the chart again? It's it, the Efficient Frontier. Efficient Frontier. Okay. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah, definitely definitely check it out. Or, you know, you can uh, go ahead and buy Ryan's book and check it out there. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. You're going to get a lot better return on your investment just by getting the book. I'm just going to say that overall. But, um, yeah, and I think that it really, one piece of this, and in, in, uh, once again, Eric, really appreciate the question. Um is, is something that you told me one time is that everybody needs to manage their... Fi- not everybody needs a financial advisor, yep. but everybody needs to manage their finances. Is, yeah. is that, that's yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so basically... Quotes aren't my strong point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so what I say, what I like to say is everybody needs to manage their finances. Um, not everybody needs a financial advisor. So, and you can manage your finances yourself. That's a 100% appropriate way um, of managing your finances. But everybody should be managing their finances. If you don't like managing your own finances, then of course you could outsource that to a financial advisor. Um, that'd be a reasonable thing to do. But yeah, everybody's finances should be managed. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a great great uh, place to uh, kind of end that segment. Uh, we'll be back on the uh, other side of this with a palate cleanser and a trivia question. So uh, stay tuned. And now to put the personal in personal finance. All right, Ryan, we have a uh, trivia question here. Uh, this kind of relates to, and I always like to you know, like humanize the voices behind the uh, the mics, just so you you know people. We, we're talking financial advice here, and. Um, you know, concepts and stuff. And sometimes those can get a little you know, into the weeds and stuff too. So we'll bring it back with a little bit of a, a fun topic here. You're a big basketball fan. Uh, you, sure. you and our supporter, yeah, if I'm not yeah. mistaken here. Absolutely. Do you, do you still have your season tickets? I don't yeah, know if you... I do. I nice do. For uh, the you and our basketball. Um, so I got a, a question related to the University of Nevada, Reno basketball. Okay. Um, who is the all-time leading Nick scorer? Nick oh, oh, man. Okay. Now, who is number two? Um, is it green? No. Let's see. So the the question was the number two or overall uh, all time all time leading score for the University of Nevada Reno. Oh God! When you say it, I'm I I, I got a, a name on the tip of my tongue. Um, God, Rogers isn't a name. Um, but Nick Fizikas was number one. You yeah. nailed that one. Yeah, that's it. Who is it? It is Deontay Burton. Oh no, no, that was not. I would not have guessed that. That's yeah. crazy. I didn't realize he was so high up there, but yeah, yeah he played. Him. He played here for he 
played, I think, three years, maybe four years here overall. So like it's yeah, just he had longevity. A, he had a great career. Yeah, definitely that that stat is definitely a longevity stat, and he had a great career. Um, yeah, that's crazy though. I wouldn't have guessed picked him as number two. Yeah, I knew. I, I figured you'd get Nick Fazika, so I was like, oh, let me uh, throw in the second one here for sure. But uh, Nevada's got a good team this year. It seems like overall, yeah. like I'm uh, I'm excited to kind of catch a couple of games there over at Lawler for sure. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, awesome. Well, we, once again, we really appreciate the the question. This episode was uh, specifically around uh, um, you know listener questions, listener feedbacks, and we really want to plug that you know email us at podcast at alchemywealth.com. Um, send us a text, shoot us an email, however your preferred form of communication, um, carrier pigeon, whatever it might be. We'd love to break down some of those topics and kind of relate it to uh, you, know, you personally. Yeah, absolutely. Eric, thank you for submitting the question. I think it was a phenomenal question. And I think lots of people were probably thinking the same thing. So I'm glad we were able to hopefully give some education around that. Uh, And yeah, looking forward to all your guys' future questions. And hopefully we can uh, give more education around those as well. So yeah, as Aaron said, please, please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, And as, as always, stay the course. Thank you for joining us for the Fiscal Physical Podcast. Until next time, happy listening, and as always, stay the course. If you have a question or topic suggestions, please email us at podcast at alchemywealth.com. If you enjoyed today's discussion, subscribe to the podcast to ensure you never miss an episode, and consider leaving us a rating and review on your favorite platform. This helps other listeners like you find the show. For more resources, you can visit Alchemy Wealth Management's website at www.alchemywealth.com or find your fiscal physical, the book on Amazon. We'd be remiss if we didn't mention that personal finance is just that, personal. Please don't take anything we say as advice. The preceding content is for informational and entertainment purposes only. It's not an offer or a solicitation, nor should it be construed or relied upon for tax, legal, or investment advice. It doesn't consider your personal financial situation or objectives and may not be suitable for you. 